History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at our most recent out-of-office episode, Negotiation in Lebanon during 1984. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else you will find spoilers ahead. Yes, I am quite happy to admit I'm fat and ugly. My name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the HHE studio with the pitta bread to my baba ganoush. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. Ah, oh, you are so humorous. <laughs> hey, humorous. I like what you did there. <laughs> yeah, cheers. And of course, we're joined as ever by the Dewey Decimal devotee. It's the judge himself, Mr. Paul Dursley. 39.6. I'm going to assume that's something Dewey Decimal related. Your favourite book. (laughs) I've got no idea. It's a decimal number. Uh, Anyway, on with the show. Now, I have been held hostage in a cellar for the last week, and the stress of it all has meant that I've forgotten everything about the last episode. So, Ryan, would you mind reminding me what happened in about 60 seconds? Are you willing to negotiate? (laughs) I am not. I will not negotiate with podcasters. I was thinking 45 seconds, maybe? You can have 60 or nothing. Right, okay. When do you want me to do it? Now! In this out-of-office special, Peter and I travel to Lebanon to explore the country's rich history and culture and to learn about the negotiations that took place there in 1984. We were struck by Lebanon's stunning natural beauty, which has been shaped by centuries of invasions and settlements. We also learned about the Lebanese people's love of the cedar tree. But our main focus, of course, was on talking negotiations. So we started by telling the remarkable story of Reverend Benjamin Weir, who was kidnapped in Beirut in 1984 and held captive for six months during which time his distraught wife worked tirelessly to convince a stubborn American administration to change their stance on non-negotiation. And we also looked behind the scenes at a story of the bombing that caused President Reagan to withdraw the American troops from Lebanon. Or did it? Either way, it was negotiation in Lebanon during 1984. Well, that was last week's episode done. Nicely, nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me. He'll take you apart without any care. He's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, yes, it's all come flooding back to me. What a wonderful out-of-office episode that was. But, of course, our opinion in this case, Ryan, is meaningless. Nobody cares. They're here for the views of one man and one man alone, Judge Dursley. So, Paul, any initial thoughts about the episode? Well, it's something I can remember quite well, as in 1984 I was in the sixth form, so I can remember quite a lot about it. And the only thing that I really remember about it, though, is Wally Jumblatt. Wally Jumblatt. Who or what is Wally Jumblatt? I think he was like the leader of the Druze faction uh, over there. I really know, I don't know anything about him apart from his name, because when you're sort of 15, 16 years old and someone called Wally Jumblatt appears on the television you just find it quite funny it does sound like a playground insult to some extent <laughs> he he did have big bulgy eyes though i remember that it's funny isn't it how some names just catch your attention uh, robert mugabe was the one that i never knew who he was as a kid but for some reason that name always stuck in my head robert mugabe one of his sparring mates in the rhodesian civil war or in the war of independence was someone called reverend canaan banana <laughs> <laughs> 
So I too remember 1984 and I remember the Lebanon and reading about it, it made me really realise that I didn't understand anything that was going on at the time. And now I've read a lot about it. I don't really understand what was going on (laughs) even now. It's so complex. There's so many moving parts and so many people in it. I, even though I did a fair amount of reading for the episode, still couldn't really claim to have a reasonable understanding of the various factions in the Civil War. But yes, because it wasn't a Muslim Christian thing. It, It was like a Protestant slash Catholic slash Protestant Muslim slash Catholic Muslim slash atheist Muslim. You know, all of the subsects each wanted their own say in it. Yeah, and then you throw the na- the nations in. We had the Israel popping in, Syria coming over. And that's without the international force from the Americans coming in to help, help in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, I think, Pete, I think it's worth a sort of just mentioning, isn't it? That this was a, our out of office episode, which was deliberately designed to be something that would be a quick little episode <laughs> that we could produce when we're not around. But I think you and I worked incredibly hard on this one. Yes. I think we were planning on half an hour for this episode, quickly blossomed into a full hour. It really- really did, didn't it? Every time you pulled one thread, it was connected to so many different things that you had to just check what this means and just find out what that was and who was that, what were they doing and why were they there and who's going there. And before you knew it, you'd read 5,000 years of Lebanese history (laughs) and spent quite, as you say, quite a lot of time preparing for what was supposed to be a bit of a time saver. Was that the time of the Green Line where between, was it Christian West Beirut and Muslim East Beirut? That's ringing lots of bells. And it was called the Green line which was the UN peacekeeping line. Indeed the green line was a line of demarcation in Beirut. Was there a line? Did they paint it on the street or did you have to just know where it was because they gave you a leaflet? I think it was like a Belfast sort of they were barricades built up with rubbish. <laughs> oh god. But it wasn't just about the politics in 1984. 1984 as a year, Paul, was it a good year for you? Uh Yes, I was quite disappointed. I was expecting sort of on the 1st of January that that Margaret Thatcher would bring in a dictatorship. You were expecting that or hoping for that? Hoping. <laughs> oh, good Lord. <laughs> okay. My first recollection of 1984 was it was the first year that I lived through that was mostly previously described as the future. Oh. So 1984, when Orwell wrote it, was what well, must have been in the 1950s. He wrote it in 1948. That's why it's... He swapped the last two digits. Okay, so that was a vision of the future. And that was my first time where I sort of entered a thing that was iconically a a future date, much like 2001 for the Space Odyssey and various other dates that we're now living through. Do we have any future ones to live through? I don't think they were explicit as 1984 and 2001. I believe it was 2015 that uh, Marty McFly flew to in the future of Back to the Future. The far-flung 2015. The far, imagine, <laughs> when we were all hovering around in our hover cars. <laughs> I think that Ridley Scott film was set sometime in the late 2010s. The uh, Blade Runner one? Blade Runner, yes. Oh, Blade Runner 2049 yeah. was the sequel. Yeah. So we've probably got that one to look forward to. So we're only a few years away. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> no. <laughs> so in summary, we are old. So old that we now live in the future. Actually, talking about 1984, it was around about 1984. We had to do a talk at uh, school about the future. So I had a sheet of perspex that I used to use just as a something to write on. Well, you, you put you put your pad on it. And it had a bit of a rough edge, so I put some tape around it. So... And it was about the size of an A4 pad. And I said, "Did you I, invent the iPad?" Well, yeah, I took I took it in and I said, "In the future, this will be what a computer is." 
it will be like this and you'll be able to do everything on it. I thought it'd be see-through. I still think it'd be quite nice if it was see-through. But I remember that and it was around about, well, let's say it was 1984 as it's the year. It could have been called the Dursley Pad. The Dursley Pad. The Just look that up on my Dursley Pad. <laughs> on my new D-Watch. D-Watch. <laughs> My Dursley Watch <laughs> Pro Max. Yeah, so the first invention of a time machine, first in the queue, Dursley with his piece of perspect, ready to go back to 1984 <laughs> and go, I told you, I told you. But of course, the problem is if you go back to 1984 and tell them that, then they've got quite a long while to wait. Also, Junior Dursley will look at you and go, oh, what happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably. Ryan and Paul, I wanted to talk about something positive and nice, so I thought we might talk about the cedar tree. Ah, yes, their national emblem. I was reading a bit about them, and they are quite remarkable trees. They're very long-lived. Their lifespan is up to a thousand years. Mm. Apparently, the wood's quite soft and is easy to work with, and it's super useful. So we talked about the Phoenicians as a sailing nation. Yeah. They would make their boats out of cedar wood. It's actually, it goes way, way back. It gets mentioned in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, epic poems. We're talking about 2100 or thereabouts BCE, ancient Mesopotamia. So in that story, the cedar forest is where the gods live. It's that important. It's protected by the god slash monster Humbaba. Humbaba. Humbaba, yes. Sounds like a dessert. Mm. Uh, It's also important enough that it gets a shout out in the Bible. It's in the Book of Kings in the Old Testament. Solomon orders cedars to be cut to build the Temple of Jerusalem. Now, therefore, command thou that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, it says. Wow. It's also well known for its preservative qualities. In the Iliad, the book about the war in Troy, Priam stores all his stuff in in cedars. It says his vaulted treasure chamber, high roofed and fragrant with cedar wood. And that's important because people would use cedar to keep moths away. There's a oil in cedar called sesquiterpene hydrocarbons, which repel moths. So even today, if you look for moth treatments, which I am because I'm infested with moths, that's another story. (laughs) You Uh, personally? Me, my home has a bit of a moth. (laughs) problem these days so yeah one of the actual things today quite legitimately that people have is cedar coat hangers and bits of cedar wood that you can put in your drawers to keep the moths away also also very good for cigars that little bit of wood that you get in a cigar tube is always cedar as is the inside of a humidor oh right okay that's interesting because it does have uh, preservative properties ancient egyptians would use cedar resin and sawdust in the embalming process as well so yeah preserving things get your cedar on so it's an amazing wood it sounds brilliant does it grow quickly but if it lives for a thousand no, years. No, I think it's quite slow growing. Not at all. I read that uh, you plant your seed a seed and mm. in just 20 years it will be ready to flower. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, Alan Titchmarsh is a big fan of the cedar tree. That's a British celebrity gardener for those not aware. He ranks the cedar amongst his favourite plants. He said in one interview, he got some when they were six foot tall and he said they, they were just six foot tall when I dug the holes. Now they're 30 feet high with fairly wide spreading branches. A couple of centuries away from maturity but lusty enough to gladden my heart and provide shade from the sun. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess the forests would, would grew on the slopes of the Lebanese mountains. And yeah, I guess, you know, you just chop them down because they're there. You don't, I don't think they were being harvested in any significant way. In fact, they're quite depleted today. So there's efforts underway to rebuild the Lebanese cedar forests. But clearly it's going to take quite a long time. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's like they, they think Easter Island was deeply forested 
Now there's no tree cover on it at all. And that's the thing. Once you've taken them down, they take so long to grow that they, they can't start again. That means at some point on Easter Island, some guy was there with his axe looking at this one tree and going, well, that's the last one. Should I just... Ah, stuff it. I'll chop it down. <laughs> I think it was probably past the point of no return before the last one, but... It must have felt a bit bad to go, I think that was the last one. <laughs> it can't have been a good moment. But... Oh, I thought there was some more over there. Yeah, well, well, so what do you think happens next, guys? Uh, we'll probably be fine. So question for you. Do the Lebanese call it the cedar? Is it a Lebanese word? Let's ask the lady of the internet. That sounds like a lady of the internet question, doesn't it? It does. All right, let's, well, let's find out. In Arabic, which is the official language of Lebanon, the Lebanon cedar tree is often referred to as Az Lebanon, which directly translates as cedar of Lebanon. Due to illegal logging, climate change, and the expansion of urban areas, the Lebanese government has decided to protect the Lebanon cedar. One of the last vestiges of cedar forest is now strictly prohibited from the public. Thank you. All right, well, there you go. You can't cedar trees. (laughs) (laughs) Can't cedar wood for the trees. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's talk about nepotism. Oh. Well, what, 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 what's this about your relatives in this episode? Ah, the Reagans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> An illustrious family, a long lineage. I, I think he might be referring to the Weirs, Ryan, who you shamelessly inserted into the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the thing, right? I was looking up hostages, but the ones that stood out to me happened to be called Weir. <laughs> <laughs> Just so happened. Funny that. Yeah, funny that. Um, yeah, so Reverend Benjamin Weir and Carol Weir. What an incredible story that they had, though. And I particularly like that one because it was really centred around the negotiation piece, right? And all the non-negotiation that Carol negotiated. discovered. Highly relevant. There was one bit in your story that and so you didn't you didn't pick up on that I think I think seemed quite telling if if true mm. was uh, you know he was he was released so say don't look back he he knocked up an old friend and then mm. the American said stay there we'll collect you tomorrow yeah the next day <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> well it was after five p.m. everyone was home so then oh well we'll leave it till tomorrow he he'll be all right how stressful can it be. <laughs> He did say in the book that it was kind of cool that they gave him a gun, though. He was like, I'm in the back of the car and they're speeding through the town and there's like this whole cavalcade of cars and he's there with his gun in his hand. He was like, it was kind of cool. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, do you want to know a little bit about the surname Weir? So not only have you brought in a family with your same name, you're now thrusting (laughs) that name into a central role in the podcast. I just thought you might be interested to know about the the surname. We are interested, Ryan. Please carry on. I assume it's Scottish. Well, some say actually it originates from France, uh, from Deville. As in the Earl of Oxford. As in the Earl of Oxford, exactly, yeah. But actually, the first recorded instances are in England and in Scotland. Uh, and it was a name given to the people who lived on or near rivers. A weir, if you're not familiar, is a barrier that's built to control the flow of water. And it was used back in the day to catch fish. 
we're talking 12th century, 13th century in Scotland when it first starts getting recorded down. But then it starts becoming more common during the Middle Ages. Uh, today, it's most common in Scotland, England, the US and Australia. And uh, there's around 16,000 people, apparently, worldwide, said to have the, the illustrious name Weir. Perhaps most notable is Peter Weir, film director. Ah, of course. You uh, might have seen the film Witness or The Truman Show, Dead Poets Society or Master and Commander. Okay, yes, I've heard that, yes. Yeah, Andy Weir. He's the American sci-fi writer who wrote The Martian. Oh, yeah. Isn't there uh, a wheelchair athlete called Weir? There's a number of athletes, uh, soccer players, golf players. Uh, There's also Bob Weir, the American singer-songwriter, the uh, founding member of The Grateful Dead. There's Alison Weir, who is a British writer and historian. Uh, There's also the Weir Farm National Historical Park in Connecticut, which, of course, we'll all be familiar with. (laughs) And did you know that there is a type of cheese called Weir cheese? Yeah, that sounds disgusting. (laughs) It's a cheese made in Scotland, made of sheep's milk. It's aged for six months and it has a strong earthy flavour with a slightly nutty aroma. Slightly nutty and incredibly cheesy. Yep, that's Ryan. (laughs) Very smelly. (laughs) Very smiley. (laughs) Do you guys want to play a quiz? I blew in do. Not really, but we are anyway. (laughs) Mixed bag response there. Who doesn't love a quiz? I love a quiz. What's the prize? Credibility. Glory. Glory. Go on then. (laughs) Right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to play Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Surely this should be Ron or non. Dang it. I spent ages trying to think of a title. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. Question one. After a crowd started booing his speech, he said... I don't understand. I'm Ronald Reagan. I'm supposed to be popular. Was that Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? Ronald Reagan. I would say not as well. You'd both be right. It is not Ronald Reagan. It was, in fact, Homer Simpson, who was dressed as Ronald Reagan in the Simpsons episode, Homerland. (laughs) Next question. He fired 11,000 air traffic controllers for going on strike. True. True. Famously true. I'm going to say not Ronald Reagan. I'm going bold. It was Ronald Reagan. And not only that, he then permanently banned them from any federal service. Oh, my Lord. Don't go on strike when Ronnie's in charge. Yeah, you wouldn't want to fly. Okay, next one. He launched a national fitness initiative emphasising kalinesthetics and jogging. Yes, but not when he was Ronald Reagan, the politician. It was probably something he did as a in the 60s. Peter? I'm going to say this was not Ronald Reagan. Correct. It was not Ronald Reagan. It was actually President Chris Bennett from the movie Kung Fury. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hands up anybody who's heard of either of those. (laughs) Even I haven't heard of Kung Fury. (laughs) Next question. He went blind in his right eye after being shot accidentally during the filming of a movie. Ooh. I'm going to say Reagan because he made movies. Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? It was Ronald Reagan. It was Ronald Reagan. Exactly. You're both right. It happened in 1940 on the movie Knut Rochney, All American. (laughs) That famous (laughs) classic. Yeah. And he thereafter went technically blind. Right. Next one. After giving a speech about the threat of the Soviet Union, he mistakenly thought his microphone was turned off and said, 
we begin bombing in five minutes. <laughs> was that Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? It was not Ronald Reagan, but somebody did say that. There was an off-mic incident where someone said that, and it wasn't Kenny Everett. I'm going to say yes just because I want it to be so badly. <laughs> was it Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? Not it was Ronald Reagan. Yes. He thought, he thought his microphone's turned off, so he said, we start bombing in five minutes. <laughs> and it had literally caused like the Soviet Union to go into meltdown. They were, they were like, right, start all the protocols for defence. Uh, right. He kept a well-stocked jar of jelly beans on his desk at all times. Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? Oh, that was a different president. Not no, I think that was him. I think Ron- that was not, Reagan. Not Ronald Reagan. Definitely Ronald no, Reagan. I think it was Jimmy Carter who had them. Pete, you're right, it was Ronald Reagan! Jimmy Carter was dispensing peanuts. <laughs> he loved unusual jelly bean flavours, apparently, like licorice, root beer, and sauerkraut. Ah. Okay, he was a skilled carpenter and built much of the furniture in his home. No, you're thinking of Jesus or possibly Harrison Ford. <laughs> was that Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? <laughs> he, he built the Oval Office. <laughs> I think he probably was a carpenter. So was that Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? Yes, Ronald Reagan. Peter? Not Ronald Reagan. It was Ronald Reagan! Oh, he was a skilled carpenter. He built much of the furniture in his home. I mean, it was all rubbish and <laughs> wonky. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next, next one. In 1954, he was cast as Jesus Christ in the movie King of Kings. Was that Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan? That can't be. No, I can't imagine. I just don't. I just can't no, have it. I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting Charlton Heston in my head, but no, not Ronald Reagan. The answer is, it was Ronald Reagan. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> he was cast as Jesus Christ. That's up there with John Wayne as Genghis Khan, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but he turned it down. And eventually the part went to Jeffrey Hunter. And the movie was a huge success when it was released in 1961. And next question. He was part of a synchronised swimming troupe called the Aquazanies, who performed comedy water ballet at public fairs and events. Ronald Reagan <laughs> or not Ronald Reagan? I'm saying yes to that for sure. For anyone who's an actor has done some demeaning things in their time, and I think that's his. <laughs> I think that is a fact about Ronald Reagan. Okay, and the answer is... It was Ronald Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he was a licensed lifeguard uh, in the 1930s. And then in the 1940s, he used his swimming skills to join the Aquazanies, (laughs) travelled around doing water ballet. Aquazanies, I love that. Is there any film of this extent? I can't. I haven't been able to find any, but if anybody out there can find some footage of the Aquazanies, we would be very happy to see it. (laughs) And there you go, that was Ronald Reagan, or not Ronald Reagan. So who won then, Ryan? So let's just tot up the scores. Okay, and the winner is... It's Pete! Yes! Justice, glory, victory is mine! Pete, you are the Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan champion for 2023. Surely the audience is the real winner in the game of Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan. Are you sure I'd like a recount? Well, 
on that Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan bombshell, here we have come to the end of the line, Ryan. It's time for us both to step in the dock and side by side prepare to face the people's judge. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Okay, then, Ryan, as the other defendant, will you please rise with me? Uh, We are both risen. Now, Your Honour, as usual, we can start proceedings with asking for your verdict on the factual content. So I think I can remember a lot of the stuff that you were talking about. Maybe not the specific uh, the specific stories, but I can remember the context. So I think I'll give you a positive straight B. Strong start. It's good. And if I can ask for your entertainment value score. Well, it was... I like the proverbial curate's egg, I'm afraid. Good in parts. Um, but it was good in parts. <laughs> the, it was, but it was also very scary in parts, with, as I've mentioned with your meditation, which <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to knock, knock you down on. But then you reconciled yourself with the cedar, 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 cedar joke. That still makes me laugh, even though it was very silly. So, gentlemen, I will give you, for entertainment value, C+. It's not bad, Ryan, it's not bad. C-der plus. C-der, oh, good lord. So, the final and very difficult to predict factor is Dursley factor. Paul, what was the Dursley factor for this episode? It was nice to have something that I can remember. Um... It's a fascinating country, a sadly very unlucky country. It never seems to be able to start and get to a period where it flourishes. But that's not to do that that's not to do with your show. And your grade for Dursley Factor is? I will give you a B minus. B minus. Oh, everything to play for. So then we reach the main event, the final verdict. Before the judge passes his ruling, Ryan and me, uh, we have an opportunity to enter a plea if we choose to do so. Ryan, do you choose to do so? No, I think this episode st- stands on its own, actually. I think so, too. There was so much to talk about. I think it's it stands or falls on its own merits, I think. Now, Your Honour, the defendants stand before you. Have you reached your verdict? I think before I can reach a verdict, given the nature of the program about negotiations you need to negotiate with me oh nice okay can we have an a no all right we'll meet you at b i was going to go a minus but (laughs) i'm just supposed to go high then low (laughs) sure we'll go b i guess or b plus you know those those okay i'm prepared to say if you give us an a for this one we can trade it off by you giving ryan a d minus for his next one <laughs> that's very Wait. tempting. I mean, that's just standard anyway, so that would be fine. <laughs> just give Ryan a regular score is what you've actually just said. Shh, I'm negotiating, yeah. Ryan. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> what do you want, Your Honour, from us for this A? You're not getting an A. That, 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 that is the, you know, that's the get shot one. You're not getting that. <laughs> what, 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 what can we give you? Can we give you anything for this negotiation? So what do I what do I want? Well, I want to win your stupid quiz. 
You, you thought you hated the quiz. I do, and I still want to win it. Well, as the host, I'm more than happy to do that. But Peter, you are the reigning champion of Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan. Are you willing to give over your title? But I'd get a good grade if I'm prepared to give it up. So I think I'm prepared to sacrifice it to get the grade. I'll take the grade. Yes, <laughs> go amazing. back, edit it, make, make him win. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, it sounds a little something like this. Congratulations, Paul. You are Ronald Reagan or not Ronald Reagan champion. Yay! You win this silver-plated ray gun. Here's the sound effect it makes. (laughs) So, with the negotiations complete, can I ask Mr Dursley for your final ruling? I will give you a D. <laughs> We've been had. <laughs> He's pulled the old switcheroo. That's unbelievable. My decision is final. I'm shocked, but also kind of impressed. But also impressed <laughs> and not shocked. And See, he gets, amused, I must he gets the title, and, and we don't. <laughs> I guess. I guess I that's it. We've got a D, Ryan. I'm not even angry. I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of impressed. Sure. Yeah, that I'm, makes sense. I'm with it too, actually. I'm, no one, I'm, I'm guaranteeing no one in the audience saw that one coming either. There you go. I did not see that coming. There's a D. Put it in the book, Ryan. <laughs> Well, there it is on that shocking turn of events, which I'm, st- I'm still not sure how I feel about it. I, I kind of <laughs> like it almost. <laughs> I'm going to wake up at two o'clock this morning in a cold sweat going, what? <laughs> <laughs> but at the moment, I'm fine. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. If you would like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about or to complain about Dursley's betrayal, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or email at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. That's right. We do love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show and you can definitely do that if you rate and review the show on spotify or apple podcasts where your recommendation can really help to bring the show to new listeners which we'd love now if you are on mastodon facebook instagram twitter or x as it's now known you can find us at hhe podcast and if you subscribe to those you're going to get an alert when we start the first round of ronald reagan or not ronald reagan (laughs) who's the reagan champion it's dursley the record shows you your honor (laughs) And of course, we'll be back again soon with our next real episode, which is plumbing in the Himalayas in the 1950s. But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. And that is it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... So I wanted to talk about wine because, again, I didn't want to talk about hostages and gloomy things. I want to talk about fun and nice things, and wine is a fun and nice thing. Uh, not in an Arab country, it isn't. Well, au contraire, the Lebanese have wine. And in fact, well, I wouldn't say they invented wine. The earliest wine that I found evidence of is from the state of Georgia, actually. But in any event, we should be grateful to the ancient Phoenicians because they did have an important role in the distribution of viniculture more widely. So, you know, we're going back away for Lebanese wine. The Phoenicians used their cedar ships to carry amphoras of wine around the Mediterranean and oftentimes when they find these sunken Phoenician vessels they've got wine amphora in them. What? Left left over? They have the amphorae. I don't think they're full of wine. I think they've leaked by that charm I'm afraid. Or it's vinegar. But 
Yeah, and it, that, that makes them believe that the Phoenicians actually spread various wine culture out of the Greeks and the Romans. I mean, that makes sense, though. Like, you know, if you're at a party or whatever, you want to share it around, don't you? You don't sit in the corner with your own bottle going, nope, this is mine. Exactly. What? Of course you do. Oh, well, okay. So your approach to parties may differ. But uh, you probably know this one, Paul, but the wine oxidises, as you probably know. So to keep it that from happening, when they fill the wine with amphorae, they would then put a layer of olive oil on top to keep the wine from having contact with the air then they'd seal it with a pine disc and resin and clay now here's the interesting part it's said that the resin would give a little bit of flavor to the wine as it traveled and the greeks developed a taste for this resinated wine retina which is where we'd get retina from allegedly what's retina retina is a resinated wine which is popular in greece so it, they, they mature it in a little bit of resin to give it a, i think it's a kind of a bitter taste i'm not sure yes it, it makes it slightly more viscous as well so now as paul says the wine did decline somewhat as the Islamic caliphate took over in the area but it made a comeback in the 1850s where French Jesuit monks planted some vines in the Bekar Valley and this starts a little bit of a mini wine reversal ironically reversing the trade in grape varieties because whilst the Phoenicians took wine cultures out to Greece and Rome they brought French grapes over for the new wine industry if you might call it but we mustn't think of it like wine as we have today because they quite often would drink it warm and they would often put sugar in it or sugar or spices in it uh, like mulled wine to me I'm in sign me up yeah it, it, exactly but when you sort of hear about them having wine it's it's sort of not the same way as we'd take as we'd take wine well I also read that most people would drink wine watered down and you would yes, very rarely have undiluted wine and that was often during religious events uh, and wine was quite important there's a big temple to Bacchus in uh, the Lebanon today but yeah you can still get Lebanese wine and although most of them are used these French grapes they are in some places turning back to some indigenous varieties including Abide which is makes a wine described by wineenthusiast.com as creamy sweet wines that taste like honey and lemons <laughs> and the Merwa grape for rich nutty and floral wines so you can get traditional indigenous Lebanese wines even today and I looked to buy them and they are quite expensive so I didn't oh no oh no <laughs> oh, I was expecting some in the post yeah, yeah well exactly yeah. I, I thought that I thought that would be a nice touch and then I saw it and went I'm going to back away from the wine list <laughs> did someone just fart that was my chair oh <laughs> that's I've never heard of all that before Da do run run run, da do run run.